Hi there, it's Aislinn. As you may know, Travel Tales is currently on vacation. In the meantime, if you're looking for another show that helps you navigate the travel world, whether you want to hack your points and miles or figure out where to travel next, then you should absolutely check out the brand new season of our other podcast, Unpacked by Afar. This season on Unpacked, I'm speaking with seasoned travelers and industry professionals to unpack the most captivating and challenging topics in the travel industry one conversation at a time. Today, I am thrilled to share a special episode of Unpacked with you. It's a roundtable discussion examining the 25 most exciting places around the world to visit in 2024, featuring myself and Afar editors Sarka Bunsel, Tim Chester, and Billy Cohen. We chat about everything, like the sights to see in Rome that are beyond your normal tourist activities, reasons why travelers visiting Africa for the first time should go to Lamu, Kenya, and the best destination to view 2024's solar eclipse. Needless to say, Unpacked is the perfect companion podcast to Travel Tales, especially if you're looking for another of our podcasts that dives into the heart of travel. So make sure to follow Unpacked on your favorite podcast app. With that said, here's the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unpacked. Welcome back to Unpacked. Thanks so much for having us. We're so excited to be here to talk about where to go. Yeah. I know. And you are fresh off making this list happen. <laughs> it's burned into our brains. We're all very excited for 2024 <laughs> yeah. to happen so we can start taking these trips we've been writing and editing about for months. Before we start talking about the list, I'd love to just start with having everyone introduce themselves and say where they are in the world. Sarika, do you want to start? Hi, I'm Sarika Bunsel. I am the editorial director. I'm based in Nairobi, Kenya. There's been a countrywide power outage for the last 24 plus hours now. So I have a bit of a cobbled setup right now. <laughs> uh, luckily, we do have like a good solar power backup and everything. But but I feel very like, I'm, I'm glad I'm here by this, you know, string of my teeth. It is very impressive that you're here, <laughs> given all of that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and uh, Billy, how about you? Hi, I'm Billy Cohen, executive editor, and I'm based in New York. And you have power. And we have power. <laughs> Yeah. It's not 2003. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If it, it's not summer, right, yeah. where everything, there are a ton of brownouts in the city. But yeah, it seems to be doing okay. We have construction, though. So if you hear any of that out, out the, my back window, that's what that will be. And Tim, that leaves you. Hi, I'm Tim Chester. I'm deputy editor. I'm in a very sunny, power-filled Southern California, Thousand Oaks near LA, where I always am when we do these. I thought I was a traveler, but I always seem to be at home when it's podcast time. So yeah, California. We need to plan the next recording for when you're somewhere really fascinating. Yeah. Maybe someplace on the list. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's dig into this wonderful list that you've put together. I mean, it's a big one. How did you approach this this year? What was your mindset going into it? I think a couple of things that we tend to look for when we start getting pitches in are, of course, there's just no shortage of great places to go ever. And I know that these lists can sometimes feel a little bit random. One of the things that we really try to filter for is like what's new in a place or what places are really having a moment. And that can be, you know, one of many things if there's a cultural opening or if there's uh, something exciting happening regarding conservation or if there's just some big event happening that is a reason to go specifically next year, that's one thing that we really typically try to look for. And then we also really, you know, are looking to get a good geographical mix. 
So, you know, we don't want to just focus a bunch of places in Europe, but really want to try to get around the globe and give people reasons to go maybe back to places that they've already been and also consider some places in the world that they may not have ever heard of. And I think our list has a nice mix of both of those. 100%. My favorite part of making the list and working on this, apart from when the issues just left the building, is right at the beginning when we solicit pitches. And uh, we have writers and contributors all around the world in all sorts of places. And getting back in touch with them, finding out where they are, where they're recommending, what they're excited about. We kind of get all these ideas in like well over a hundred, a couple of hundred ideas and um, divide them up by continent and then have a look at them together. And it's just really interesting to sort of take the pulse, the travel writer community and see what's exciting everyone. And then the hard work of kind of narrowing it down, you know, all the list comes in. Yeah. And I love that we're working with writers and our staff who've actually been in these places with their feet on the ground. Some of them are live in these places. So we get all these pitches and we get all these ideas and sometimes they're locations that surprise us because maybe we wouldn't have thought of that, but because that person is very familiar with that location, they're able to give a new spin on it that we think is really interesting and will be really interesting to travelers as well. I love that. I love that there's so much knowledge and kind of intimate experience with these places going into the list. Tim, you mentioned it started as a pretty big list. And this year, we have 25 destinations on the list, which still feels like sometimes more. How did you wind up with 25? Well, it couldn't be 24 for 24. That's too neat. <laughs> no, too cheesy. <laughs> yeah. We don't go in for that kind of numerical punnery. Yeah, Other puns are fine, but not for right. <laughs> totally. Wait till we start talking about Bruno. Yeah. Oh, oh, boy. Yeah. I was wondering who would be first. So obviously, gonna obviously, be me. It's <laughs> I, I had it down as my answer for the second question. You beat me to it. Oh, no. no one's gonna know what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> should we just talk about that joke now? There's a, one of the places is Brno in oh, Czechia. Yeah, um, go for it. And it's spelled B R N O, which is obviously Bruno without the U. And Billy, do you want to explain why that? <laughs> <laughs> because of Encanto and yeah. so the minute it got pitched I just started making that terrible pun every time it came up I was like let's talk about Bruno let's talk about Bruno and then I enlisted Tim to ask him to repeat the joke every time he was talking about it too and he very gamely agreed so here we are and here all the listeners get to get to know the hijinks behind the scenes and my, my, my love of puns. <laughs> I think with the list, we did get it down to sort of a dozen. And then and then we kept having places that we really wanted to have in. And so we, it went up, oh, yeah. sort of doubled in size, didn't it? And obviously some of them are rounded up in thematic pieces. Yeah. We yeah, we started it. seeing some places like, for example, Paris has the Summer Olympics going on. So it felt like an obvious inclusion. But we also didn't want to give it so much space in the magazine because... The Summer Olympics could be, for a lot of people, a reason not to go to Paris next year. But we, did, we didn't want to not mention it. So it became like we had a few places like Bruno Cecchia and a bunch of others that, that we were really excited to feature. But then there were some others that also just felt like there were important enough things happening there or they were capitals mm -hmm. of something like the European uh, capital of culture and whatnot that felt you know, really interesting and important to mention, but then we didn't want to give it as much space in the print magazine. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, you mentioned events, and that does seem to be a bit of a theme throughout the list. We'll talk about some in particular a little later on, but why was that a focus? And what are you most excited about? 
I'll jump in. One of the big events for 2024 is the solar eclipse that's happening on April 8th. Across the staff at Afar, we're all seem to be obsessed with these eclipses. So that that was um, in Texas. So the idea um, was raised by one of our colleagues, May Hamilton, that uh, Texas and the hill country in Texas would be an ideal place to, to experience the eclipse coming April 8th. So we knew we wanted to do something on that. And then using that as an opportunity to talk about that area of the country where there's also a lot going on. There's a lot in the wine scene. There's uh, a lot of small towns with a lot of culture to visit. It seemed like a great way to talk about an event, but also make it more about a place that people could experience beyond that one day. Another way that we were thinking about events, not just go and have the event and experience the event, but what can we share with people about the location that that event is taking place in? I think that really comes out nicely in Texas on the um, choice of photography. When I thought of that piece, I, I imagined just big wide open Texan plane at night with some stars or something obvious about the eclipse. But actually what we've got <laughs> is this lovely shot of two girls swimming underwater at one of the swimming holes there and a truck driving through the kind of wildflower meadows. And that's one of my favorite things about writing for a magazine especially is when the art team bring it to life and it just it's just amazing i love it yeah an unexpected look at the place why do you think so many people are drawn to traveling for solar eclipses it feels like a nerdy phenomenon that's still cool and you can everyone can still appreciate the <laughs> enormous power of it i think it's also a moment to just feel connected with this much broader galaxy that we live in and to just realize that we are quite, quite small. I felt that for sure. I, I got to see some really far away galaxies in a telescope, you know, very powerful telescope. And just that feeling of being really small and reminded of, you know, that we are just little dots. It's kind of an amazing <laughs> feeling. I think it just brings people together. Yeah. And the fact that we all get to witness it together. I think there's something really special about that. Astrid tourism seems to be a big thing at hotels everywhere nowadays. I mean, a number of places, someone at a hotel, someone's rolled out a telescope and has been an impromptu stargazing type experience. I think people are just traveling for that all the time. So obviously the eclipse is like the big festival, you know, dramatic version of that. Absolutely. Well, what else surprised you on this year's list? I don't want to um, give Brno too much of the limelight. Um, obviously, Prague <laughs> is the more well-known city. And um, great story from Emma John about just the arts and culture and the, the vibe of that city and some of the um, really interesting things going on there, like Cabinet Moots, this vegan cafe by day and band venue at night, uh, Museum of Fine Arts with floating chairs in, as part of the exhibits, cocktail bar where you take part in the story and a hotel that's only 26 feet wide. I think she in that piece, she really brought out all the sort of interesting curiosities of that place and uh, definitely made me want to visit, which is obviously the point of these pieces. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say two things generally that surprised me about the list. One is a lot of places that we chose are places that you've, you had. I mean, of course, we do have the Burnos and a few others that I think are will be quite new for a lot of readers. But we do have a, a f quite a few places that I think people have heard of and may have traveled to before. But we have sort of fresh reasons to visit. Two examples that come to mind there are Rome, Italy, and Los Angeles, California. And both of them are pretty well-known destinations. In the case of Rome, there are a lot of new beautiful looking hotels that I think will be a draw for people to come and not just come in and try to see the Coliseum and try to do 
all of the bucket list type of things that Rome is famous for, but also just try to stay and enjoy the city and experience a lot of Mm. the other pieces of the city that may be overlooked. There are also a lot of archaeological sites that are being breathed new life into. And I think that that just gives a lot of people who maybe have been to Rome once before on a Europe trip at some point, a reason to go back and really try to explore the city afresh. In Los Angeles, there's a really large black art movement that's going on there, a really large space that's opening up, and also a ton of new restaurants that I think a lot of our readers would be excited to check out. And the second thing that surprised me about our list is that a lot of destinations we chose because of their sustainability and conservation commitment. This is true for places like Fiji, where a lot of hotels have uh, strong commitments to help preserve ocean life. Places like Norway, where there's just so much green transport and ways to get around the country and many others too that I think that really have done quite a lot on the environment, which was one of our factors in choosing it. Yeah. Some of the places that we chose had cultural sustainability and a cultural aspect that was coming up, obviously events and festivals. But one of the places that surprised me or that I learned something about was St. Kitts. The pitch came in from a writer we've worked with, Rosalind Cummings Eats, and she had been there and met two people who were sort of bringing back the legacy of rum in St. Kitts. Now, it's in the Caribbean, and I think people sort of widely know that there was sugar plantations there during the various colonial eras of those islands, and St. Kitts had been a British colony for a very long time where there were a lot of plantations that were farmed by enslaved African peoples, and recently... There's this movement to reclaim that really painful and complicated past, but through local residents, local uh, petitions, they, they call themselves. So there's two companies that are that are doing that to sort of bring back that history and talk about it in a new light, really reevaluating that history and sharing what it meant to the local people who were living there and their descendants now. And I think mm-hmm. especially in the Caribbean, where maybe people are just thinking about it as a a sun and beach destination to learn that there are points of cultural connection that are available. That was surprising and exciting to me. That's so cool. And you can taste the rum? Yes, you, so you can, go, yeah. mm-hmm, you can go to these places. <laughs> the two companies, one um, is run by this guy, Jack Wittison. It's called Old Road Rum Company. And he grew up on an estate that was sugar plantation. Mm-hmm. And when he was like a teenager, there are archaeologists who found the ruins of an old distillery on it. They dated it back to the 1600s, and they think it's the oldest rum distillery in the Caribbean. And he was like 14 when they found this. And so then he grows up, and he's like, you know what I'm going to (laughs) do? I'm going to start a rum company. He's trying to rebuild that distillery, actually, so that they can, for the first time in a long time, you know, make rum actually on the island. But in the meantime, he's blending rums from the region and inviting people to the property where he does tours and lets them taste and talks about this history. So yeah, you can go and there's a tour you can take called the St. Kitts Rum Masters Tour. So you can go and visit the Old Road Rum (laughs) and another company called Hibiscus Spirits and taste and learn how to make St. Kitts Kittitian cocktails and Caribbean influence cocktails and really hear the story and learn about the history in a new perspective. (laughs) Well, one of the other things that I'm hearing you say, I think all three of you, is that you learn so much through making this list. Is there anything in kind of a broader sense that you feel like you learned kind of putting this list together? How many places there are in the world that I cannot (laughs) wait to visit? You know, (laughs) 
It's never ending, which, I mean, thank goodness. I think also we have a lot of focus on arts and culture this year. And a lot of our stories, like Los Angeles that I had mentioned before, St. Kitts, there's many others too, Manchester, England, which Billy wrote. And they all seem so specific, their art scenes. You can get to some things that feel like, you know, you could be anywhere. But all of the ones that we highlight, I feel like they seem very specific to the place, um, which I just, I love that. Some of that really seems to come because many of the writers who wrote pieces this year actually live in these places or know them really well. You mentioned Rome earlier, Sarka, and that was written by someone who lives there and has that kind of insider knowledge, right? Yeah, Laura Itzkowitz, she first moved to Rome for a couple of years in 2009, and now she's lived there permanently since 2019 or so. It was so clear working with her just how knowledgeable she was. One thing I really enjoyed while working on that story in particular was she talks about some of the archaeological digs and these different sites that were uncovered first by Mussolini and then fell a little bit more into disrepair and then are now being brought back. And I almost felt like as I was reading the story, I was getting the type of tour that she was talking about in Rome that so many tourists don't do because they're just focused on hitting up the Colosseum, going to the Forum, then you know, booking it <laughs> yeah. to the Amalfi Coast so they can take all their Instagram photos. And this was just such a, just even the process of reading the story, I felt like, oh, I get what she's talking about. And every question that I had for her, she would just write these long paragraphs and then say, well, if this doesn't work, then we can try this site. And she would just tell me all about the history of that site, going back to like Julius Caesar. And um, it was a little bit of um, in a European history primer that I was getting. Uh, you need to put that out there somewhere for listeners to read. I also wanted to talk about sustainability. You mentioned it earlier. Is there anything else that you want to add about how this list was framed for a climate conscious traveler? Yeah, so a couple of things that come to mind for me and Billy and Tim, please add. One is that we do have a decent number of domestic destinations in the list as well. So people don't have to travel halfway around the world in order to get to experience something magical. Like we do highlight a few great American cities, including places like Philadelphia and Seattle and Charleston that are having moments right now and other North American cities too, like Toronto and Los Angeles. So all of these places, I think, are much closer for a lot of our readers to actually get to. So that's something that, of course, like, you know, the actual act of traveling somewhere uses a lot of the carbon. And then a lot of the hotels that we mention throughout the piece, they also have really strong climate initiatives. For example, for getting back to Rome again, the Six Senses that we mention as one of the hotels there that's recently opened, they actually are on 100% green power. So, you know, guests can feel a little bit better about staying at places that have such strong climate commitments. And so you can make your trip greener, both in how you get there. And then once you get there where you stay, like all of these things sort of add up and you can have a much lighter footprint than uh, maybe a more traditional traveler would. Yeah, I think you covered it. I mean, obviously, we're always trying to help people find lesser known, lesser touristed places, or if they're going somewhere like Rome to stay longer. And I think there's plenty of ideas in the Rome piece for making a longer trip, supporting local businesses. I will say, I talk about what we learned making the list. I realized I, I need to see a lot more of LA, which is just down the road. Obviously, Destination Crenshaw, the Black Art Project, is finally opening next year. But there's loads of small businesses in that piece I could go and support and check out and some great food options. It's also, just while we're on LA, the 100th anniversary of the Hollywood sign as well. So as well as all, everything new there, there's, this, there's a lot of heritage, obviously, to 
enjoy. And um, I went for a walk up to the letters with the uh, Hollywood Sign Trust chairman. It's very, um, it's yeah, very uh, vertiginous. Hi, um, I'm not <laughs> yeah. one for heights. He was giving me a long story of the history of the sign while I was kind of like holding on to the, the, the piece of wood that used to hold up the L for the land when it was Hollywood land. Oh, wow. And yeah, some great history there. And you can walk all the way up behind it and see the sign and the city behind it. So sustainability wise, what, what did we miss? There's Three locations in particular on the list that are notable for their sustainability efforts, and those are Fiji, which Tim wrote about and he can talk about, Norway, <laughs> and Bhutan. Norway, it's almost, I won't say behind the scenes, but there's a sort of a countrywide effort to honor the beautiful nature that's there, right? Obviously, they have fjords and beautiful water and mountains, and they know it, right? But they also know, <laughs> hey, we have to protect this, so... The public transportation options, they're working on hybrid electric trains and fully electric trains. The country is phasing out internal combustion cars. So like I think one in every five cars is an electric vehicle. Very easy to rent that. So the sort of day-to-day -day of your trip, if you were traveling there, could be respectful of the nature that you're seeing. And we, we wanted to recognize that. Tim, you want to talk about Fiji? There's a similar kind of thing going on there. Yeah. What struck me about Fiji is there's um, obviously lots of high-end resorts there, but a lot of them are taking ocean conservation really seriously and letting guests help with that. So you can help plant coral, you can plant mangrove saplings. So mangroves are obviously the, the kind of plant superheroes when it comes to Carbon sequestration, sequestration, how do you, what is the word there? <laughs> Putting, drawing down carbon <laughs> and also acting as flood barriers and habitat. So yeah, I went there a year ago to stay at Nanuku Resort on the south coast of the main island, um, Viti Levu. Yeah. yeah, I just met some really passionate people there who were just doing lots of great things in the ocean and on the land. I thought that was so cool that their resorts have marine biologists on staff. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's amazing. For, um, Right? Not just for sustainability, but for nerdiness. Like now I want to go to Fiji and just hang out with a marine biologist. <laughs> yeah. And they're doing great work with local communities as well, helping them come and see the project, get involved. And they're planting these mangroves near the villages to help sort of add flood protection there rather than, you know, building big concrete walls and putting bricks down. The other thing that struck me about Fiji is very few people go there from the States. When I went from LA, it's a direct flight. You have to take an overnight flight both ways, which is the downside. But the plus side is in 2022, 70,000 people went from the US and 7.7 .7 million went to Hawaii. So if you're wow. looking for somewhere with a lot less oh tourists and a lot more space <laughs> to enjoy all this natural beauty, then um, I, I recommend it. I loved, I loved it. Well, we talked a little bit about events earlier, but one that really caught my eye was, I think the whimsy of it was the Kite Festival. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Chinese city that hosts it? Yes, Waifang. I've never been there myself. I've only been to Beijing, but it's about halfway between Beijing and Shanghai, about four or five hours drive from each. And next year is the culture city of East Asia. It's sort of one of the places that has a claim to being the birthplace of kites, but it's definitely known as a kite capital of the world. And they have this festival every April, International Kite Festival, but draws in tens of thousands of people. And as you can imagine, all the kind of colorful kites. And they have a World Kite Museum. 
I, I don't know if you guys flown kites for me it's like half an hour of untangling and for three minutes of fun with the children. <laughs> so it's, i imagine it's amazing to see experts beautifully made you know handmade yeah. kites <laughs> the sky is full of them that sounds so cool yeah <laughs> waifang is also a unesco creative city of crafts and folk art so it's not just kites the visitors there can learn about clay modeling paper cutting wood block printing it just sounds like a very interesting creative city and apparently has a great night food market scene as well. <laughs> well, I think it kind of came up naturally earlier, but, you know, because, Tim, you've been to Fiji, but have you been to any of these places recently? I mean, Billy, I know you were just in Estonia and loved it. Yeah, I can, I, I, I'm going to say I won't bore you all with it, but I will bore you all with it. I loved <laughs> it. Do. I loved it. Estonia, I didn't know much about it. I think most U.S. travelers' familiarity with it is Tallinn, the capital, which is a stop on Baltic cruises. So that's the port that people go to. And they don't really get out of that city. And that is just a missed opportunity. The country's small. It's phenomenal. It's gorgeous. You've got this beautiful UNESCO World Heritage old town in Tallinn, which is gorgeous. It's like 14th century castles and walls and things. And then... You can go two hours outside and be in a couple of national parks. I went hiking in a bog, which was like walking on snowshoes. On Imagine a, a carpet of peat moss, like a foot thick, and it just kind of sinks slightly. So, and you're on converted snowshoes, so you're sort of walking on water, and it's just gorgeous. So I got to do that and hike through a forest, and you can pick your own mushrooms because everything is like fresh and natural. And all of it, everything's like two hours apart. and And it's... Super modernized, like the the roads and the highways, everybody speaks English. There's Wi-Fi everywhere. Like the country is really committed to internet access and digital education and stuff. So it's, it's very easy for travelers to experience. And then in Tartu, which is the second largest city, it's only about 100,000 people. So it's still pretty small. They are one of Europe's cultural capitals for 2024. So there, we talked about events, but all year long in 2024, there are going to be various things that people can go and experience and get to know that city, which is also surprised me because you get to the main town square and it looks like something out of like Nice. Like it looked like Southern Europe. It's like a cobblestone town square with a statue in the middle and these beautiful, colorful, stately buildings around and open air cafes everywhere and a river running through it. So it has this very European feel that my guess is people don't associate with that far north in in Europe. And it was just cool. And so there's all this like very sort of classical Europe feeling stuff, but there's also leftover Soviet era relics. And that was really interesting to see. I had a blast. I met so many cool people and I can't recommend it enough. Go to Estonia. Billy, what made you want to go there in the first place? I had read an article in BBC Travel where um, a writer had interviewed this man who lives in the area where they do the bog hiking. And I think the writer hadn't even gone because it was during the pandemic. But you can cut all this out, Aislinn. But there is <laughs> in in this region of Estonia where it's all bogs, like it's all marshes and stuff. Um, they have what they call a fifth season that happens in March when all the snow melt from the surrounding areas. There's no, no real mountains in Estonia, but there's a lot of rivers. So the snow melt from the surrounding areas floods these rivers and every couple of years like cars sink you know like the water <laughs> raises really high and everybody has to wow. get around on canoes uh, and i just thought that sounded 
so interesting and was such a it was such an interesting climate story. It was such an interesting cultural adaptation story. And I I just thought it was fascinating. So I was like, well, I want to go there. And then the rest of the, the trip happened. And then I got to meet that man who who, who does the canoeing in the, in the box. He's wow. the one who took me hiking. So you never know. You, people read our stories and then years later, <laughs> exactly. they go to these places. Yeah. And then it turned out because Tartu was going to be the 20, one of the 2024 European capitals of culture. It was like, okay, well, now it's there's a moment happening. And how, yeah. how is this country going to embrace that and show off you know, their arts and culture scenes for for the rest of the world. That was, that drew me in. That is one thing I just love about our list in general is just hopefully, even if people aren't able to go this year, it just plants a seed somewhere that, hey, this yeah. is a place that I never really thought of before. And hopefully one day when I'm able to go somewhere that this may be something on my list. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that you kind of save, right? Yeah. Like you save this version of the magazine or bookmark the article online and hopefully use it as inspiration for years to come. I was just thinking the destination that I wrote about, which is Lamu, Kenya, I think is hopefully going to be that for a lot of people, because I think many people who come to Africa for the first time, the continent of Africa, which contains 54 countries, that they do typically <laughs> go on safari to experience Africa's wild places, which are incredible. And I totally understand that. At the same time, there is so much more to the continent than animals and <laughs> wild places. There's also just incredible cities. And in this case, the one that I wrote about, this island with a really very unique and well-preserved Swahili culture, which is this blend of Bantu, like East African culture, combined with Arabic and Persian and some European and Indian and Chinese cultures that have sort of made this melting pot and it's very you know you wouldn't be able to find this architecture in many other places or a lot of other cultural facets that are very well preserved again Lamu town which is the main town on the island is also a UNESCO world heritage site for that reason and I think anyone who is planning a trip to the continent I feel like it's it's also really worth going to places like this. How far is it from you where you live? It's uh, about an hour flight. Flying is the best way to get there. And that's from Nairobi. And there's direct flights. And there's gorgeous hotels and guest houses to stay at. Like truly, you just feel like you're in a photo shoot all day. Then the really unique thing about the <laughs> island is that there's no cars. So and there's not really like any like street signs or anything. So you just kind of walk around <laughs> and there's, <laughs> there's, just, they're like meandering alleys and you kind of find your way, you know, that's the thing, like you, you will get lost at some point, but then you'll be like, oh, yeah, I recognize, <laughs> I recognize that tree or I recognize that donkey. There's a lot of donkeys there. And you <laughs> sort of sort of just like find your way again <laughs> i mean there's so few opportunities to get lost anymore i love that but still feel safe you know it's like you're you you feel yeah, like you're still contained yeah. in this in this small place like you really can't go very far the donkey will take you back the donkey will feel yeah <laughs> a distinctive donkey yeah, yeah. <laughs> there actually is a like a donkey rehabilitation site on the island as well you can go and visit and see just you know three-legged donkeys that are being rehabilitated and all sorts of other things. It's pretty cool. <laughs> so another African destination that we've mentioned in our list is another city on the other side of Africa, uh, Tangier, Morocco, which is in the very, very far north of Morocco. I 
ended up learning a lot about the colonial history of the city, and it used to be considered part of an international zone, and it was managed by a consortium of other countries, including like Italy and Spain. So it wasn't really considered part of Morocco for a long time, and it has a bit of an international edge to it. Now the city is becoming a lot more connected to its Moroccan identity. There's a lot of really creative Moroccans who are doing amazing things, like they're you know, running restaurants and cultural programs and shops that are selling different types of home goods and beauty products that are all Moroccan-led companies. And a lot of them are also run by young women. So I think it's a really cool way to experience a city that has historically had this international, very also very artsy edge to it. But now that artsiness is being led by a lot of creative young Moroccans. So it seems like a place that I would be really excited to go and kind of see both old Tangier and the new Tangier combined. Yeah, there are so many great cities on this list this year. Are there any that you feel like we didn't talk about that we should? Uh, yeah, I'll give a pitch for San Diego. Mm. It's in our list, along with Tijuana. The two cities on both sides of the border are the World Design Capital 2024 cities. Lots of design-focused events and lots of great architecture to see there, which is, you know, people think of San Diego and just beaches and tacos. And <laughs> obviously, there's a, it's a huge city and there's lots to see in that regard. And I was there, I think, earlier this year, um, driving an EV around for an EV road trip for digital article and so it's very easy to fly in and rent an EV and not have to you know have a gas-powered car and some of the design things are happening up in La Jolla which is this lovely neighborhood north of the city on the cliffs you can go sea kayaking in the caves there there's leopard sharks in the water and bright orange Garibaldi fish and um, snorkeling (laughs) and it's just beautiful beautiful place Um, so I'd heartily recommend that. I give a shout out to Philadelphia we put that in. We're all pretty excited about Philadelphia this year. People know Philadelphia. Obviously, it's a place for American history. The Constitution was written there. But the food scene is just on fire. It won more James Beard Awards in 2023 than any other city for the chefs and restaurants. And they're diverse and just so, so interesting and varied. And it's a great reason to rethink and revisit that city this year. Plus the art scene has always been great. And there's amazing institutions <laughs> of art, like the Philadelphia Museum of Art and the Barnes Foundation. But also the gallery scene is, has long been thriving, and it still is. They still do a first Friday every month where the galleries stay open. That's actually expanded. It's near New York, so I've, I've been there a lot, so I'm very excited. You know when you said it had more James Beard Award winners, I was reaching for the hand-clapping emoji to pop up on the screen. I think I've spent too much time on Microsoft Teams. (laughs) I'll also give a shout to Toronto, which is, I did not know this, that it is by many measures the most diverse city in the world, even more so than New York City and London. There are upwards of 180 languages spoken there. And just this year, one of the reasons why became included on our list this year is because they elected their first mayor, who's a woman of color, Olivia Chow, who has talked a lot about diversity. And the piece takes you through several of the neighborhoods where you can go to a little Tibet and have momos. You can go to Koreatown and go, um, you know, sing karaoke there. You can go to a neighborhood where there's a lot of Somali people. And there's also, similar to Philadelphia, there are also some more high-end gastronomical experiences to have. And also just a lot of cultural events happening throughout the year. The Caribbean Festival in August draws, I think, a million people 
And then there's a contemporary arts night in October that's an all-night affair and just brings in Torontonians from all stripes. Amazing. And we're going as a company in March. I'm so excited. I know. I've actually like, (laughs) you know, I feel like the entire essay for that is basically just like my to-do list of all the different (laughs) restaurants and neighborhoods to (laughs) to check off. It is. We have much more to eat than we have time for. Yeah. <laughs> Unless we can extend or come early. Yeah, no, or just yeah. do all just our second, meetings at the restaurant. Second oh, lunch, yeah, first exactly. dinner, second dinner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had a great run of digital stories on Toronto earlier this year as well. So if you oh, yeah, we'll to those. look at the Toronto guide on the website. We do this thing called My Perfect Day, and it's uh, a local runs us through how they'd spend their perfect day. And one by um, Tiffany Ram Subic, who runs Ode, which is Toronto's only black owned boutique hotel. We've got a lot to do. We're going to need some extra time because we don't want to just be in meetings. <laughs> no, the meetings should be in the restaurants, yeah, I, exactly. I think. Are. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've talked a lot about these urban destinations, arts, and culture. What about people who like to travel for nature or to be outside? Billy had briefly mentioned Bhutan. I think that Bhutan is an amazing country. I have not been myself, but Kathleen Relihan, she went last year and was one of the first people to hike the newly restored Trans-Bhutan Trail that fell into disrepair in the 60s and just reopened last year. And now just this year, uh, Bhutan has lowered. It's always had a tourist tax. So that covers, you know, various things like lodging and a guide and whatnot. It's recently lowered the tourist tax to now $100 a day in order to spur more tourism. So, And there's also a lot of new hotels that have opened, as well as the Trans-Bhutan Trail. So the Trans-Bhutan Trail goes through the Bhutanese countryside, and you get to pass both the stupas and, and temples and all types of small towns and villages that were previously pretty oh, much off-limits entirely to foreigners. So. Lots of really cool reasons to visit Bhutan. It's also hugely conservation-minded, so 60% of the country must be under forest cover. And it's the first carbon-negative country in the world. So that's another cool reason to visit. See how they did it. Absolutely. Yes, yes. We were all all reaching for again. (laughs) The clapping hands emoji. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, one of our oh. one of our roundups that we have in the book is classic spots that are potentially worth a revisit. One of them is Machu Picchu, which is Peru's most popular destination with good reason. I mean, Machu Picchu is a brilliant feat of Incan engineering. The Sacred Valley, though, more generally, is just it's one of the prettiest places in the world, in my opinion. And Intrepid Tours has recently opened up a new hike that takes people to be able to see Machu Picchu, but also see lesser lesser visited sides of the Sacred Valley. So it's called the Quarry Trail, and they're able to visit older Incan towns and also just see some waterfalls and some other sites that were previously a bit more off limits. So definitely, I, I love the idea of revisiting a classic destination, but with a bit of a twist on it. I would say if you like your outdoors with a glass of wine, then head to Uruguay this year. We had a lovely piece from Julia Buckley who wrote about this region called Maldonado. It's a coastal region. I think it's the next one along from Montevideo and Canelones. But anyway, it's very much the up and coming wine region of the country. And there's a um, sommelier there who's worked on a, a Mapa del Vino, which is a map of all of the boutique vineyards in Uruguay. So you can follow that trail and... It just looks beautiful, land of alfresco food tastings and great reds, red wines. And yeah, definitely added that to my list after working on that piece. 
Um, well, I'd love to just pivot a little bit more broadly to kind of where we're traveling next year, how we're traveling. You know, 2023 was such a busy travel year. Do you have any predictions for 2024? I think it's still going to be busy. Yes. <laughs> that's not going away anytime soon. But don't let that stop you. Yeah. I think that's that's one of the messages of our list too. You know, look to places off the mainstream path. For example, you know, in Europe, Estonia and Brno, in Africa, Lamu and Tangier, and then also rethink places that may be familiar to you, like a Rome or Toronto. There's actually there's another yeah. layer that that we're trying to bring to the surface. So maybe that will that will help people avoid the goat track of the main masses of tourism yeah the busy the busy places are just going to get busier and climate will obviously play a part so be prepared for that in certain places try and go shoulder season where you can you know the pandemic was a big reminder that you never know what's around the corner so travel where you can make the most of it and that kitchen extension or new car can wait and just get out there and see the world uh book your travel insurance we'll link to the, our episode about that well i'd love to end this conversation with where you are planning to go this year, where you want to go. It could be places on the list. It could be other trips that you have planned. Where are you editors going? In part inspired by not our list, but a feature story in our previous issue, our Epic Trips issue over the holidays, I'm going with my family to Oman, which I'm really excited about. I had known a bit about it, but didn't really know just how diverse it was in terms of the types of things that you can do there from snorkeling or scuba diving to uh, mountain climbing to visiting the desert to, of course, like spending time in cities and eating lots of delicious Middle Eastern food. So I'm really excited to be able to do all of that and definitely was also additionally inspired by our feature story, which is absolutely gorgeous. The photographs as well are just breathtaking. Some of these wadis, which are these big gorges, very sand colored, and then they have bright turquoise blue water running through them. They they just look like they're, I don't know, out of a movie set or something like that. They don't, they don't even look real. <laughs> we'll link to that story as well because it's such yeah. a good one. It is one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah the, I should say the, the writing is amazing <laughs> and the photographs are just kind of add to it even more. So it's just like yeah. on both sides of it, you're just like, wow, this place is just otherworldly. Gotta go. <laughs> Billy, how about you? What's your list look like this year? I'm heading to Kenya in February, so I'm going to... Yeah, I'm going to visit Sarka and um, and then um, see if I can also get to Lamu from our list. And I often will travel for music or a like one random event. So Berno's on my list. They have that free music festival in August. And cool. And Manchester has a bunch of stuff going on because they've they have also we were talking about arts and culture have opened several venues, including the UK's like largest entertainment basically a concert venue is purpose built for music. And so there's concerts there I want to see. And I've already got a couple on my list, including a citywide, what's it called? It's called City of Floating Sounds. And Ooh. it's an interactive symphony project where there's going to be music throughout the city of Manchester and then it'll guide you through it and then back to th this new theater space called the Viva Studios at Factory International, which just opened this year and is one of the reasons that the city's on, on our list. And then it'll end up there. So that's in June and I want to go back for that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that sounds 
I want to go too. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, second company <laughs> meeting. Yes, yes. <laughs> I uh, wish. I loved your um, Manchester piece, Billy. How it, obviously the city is so ne- well known for its music scene, but there's so much more happening nowadays that people maybe not be aware of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that was one of the reasons I went because it had that music history. But I was just floored by how much more there is, including amazing libraries. But that's another episode. Um, Tim, where, where will you be podcasting from the next time? I'll be we... back in my office at home. Uh, my travel <laughs> calendar is looking quite light considering I've been working on this feature. I'm going to Palm Springs in January and we have the trip to Toronto. But other than that, I'm looking at a blank slate that's filling up with other things. So I need to get the travel slotted in. I'd love yeah. to go to Peru. I think there's a direct flight from L.A. And the idea of doing a, a trail like the Quarry Trail really appeals. So um, yeah. we should see. Would you take your kids, do you think? No. Or are they still too young? No. <laughs> that was so we, fast. We that was a, an easy answer. It was very quick. Yeah. <laughs> no, not even a no, moment of fact. We're not hiking on to Machu Picchu with eight-year-olds and four-year-olds. No. <laughs> it doesn't sound fun to you? <laughs> we, did, we were going to all go back to England in the summer, but we just bounced it back to the next Christmas now. And then okay. That, yeah. Wow. I'm not looking forward well. to the flight. i look forward to seeing how your slate fills up (laughs) well thank you so much i mean the list is phenomenal the work that you did is really incredible so thank you and thanks i feel very inspired to go to all 25 and 24 i think that's doable right where do you want to go aislinn i know (laughs) what's on your list well all of them i mean manchester the music aspect sounds wonderful toronto is obvious we're gonna do that as a company and then i don't know i feel like kenya would probably be the first one that I would pick if I were just going to go anywhere tomorrow. Caribou, so. Kenya. That means welcome to Kenya. Yeah. Please come visit. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, yes, we I'll, started uh, by I'll make sure there's power when you come. Um. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> I appreciate that. I'll just bring my solar charger. <laughs> hey, it's Aislinn again. If you enjoyed the episode and want to hear more stories like this one, follow Unpacked by Afar on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite listening app. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Unpacked. Hi. It's so great to be here. Hi. Oh, us. Yeah, thank you. I thought you were talking to the listeners. <laughs> Should we try it again? Yeah. I think so. Okay. okay. That paralyzed. was awesome. Yeah.